Please be seated. In 1670, the Jewish philosopher Baruch Spinoza published a book with the enticing title Theological Political Treatise. He published it anonymously, and it turned out that was a wise decision. In it, he argued that the Bible was not the contemporaneous record of eyewitnesses to divine history. Many of its books, he tried to show, were written centuries after the events they recounted took place. The authors attached to them by tradition could not have written them, Spinoza argued. For example, Catholics and Protestants alike named Moses as the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. Spinoza pointed out several inconvenient facts. Deuteronomy narrates Moses' own death. The phrase, to this day, implying a much later narrator, appears over and over again. For example, and that place is called Bethel, to this very day. But my favorite bit of Spinoza's evidence against Moses' authorship is Numbers 12.3, which reads, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. <laughs> so I'll let that sink in for just a second, how that connects to Spinoza's claims about Moses' authorship. I find myself thinking a lot these days about Moses being the most humble man on earth. It comes to mind surprisingly often when I'm reading about politics or when I'm scrolling through Twitter. I might see, I am very modest, I am the most humble celebrity. Right next to, I am more presidential than anybody, and nobody reads the Bible more than me. Those are all direct quotes. At the risk of ruining the joke by explaining it, I think it's worth unpacking why Numbers 12.3, Spinoza's inconvenient verse, is funny. Either Moses did write the verse, which makes him a liar, bragging about your humility really takes you out of the running for most humble man on earth, or someone else wrote that about Moses and the tradition that Moses wrote the Pentateuch is false. Which is worse for the Bible? Spinoza thought, clearly, the tradition of Moses' authorship could be more easily jettisoned than the credibility of Moses himself. Humility is one of those virtues constantly extolled in Scripture, from the prophetic books of the Hebrew Bible to the advice given in the pastoral epistles. And like many virtues, it has a radical side and a domesticated side. Radical humility is sincere. The truly humble person does not consider herself entitled to privileges or status. She defers to others, considering their claims before her own. She serves in whatever way she is asked, and even before she's asked. Nothing is beneath her, 
An opportunity to advance the cause of her neighbors is a source of joy. The success of others is a cause for celebration and satisfaction. Domesticated humility has been skewed to fit with human nature. It is feigned. It is a put-on to be adopted the moment before it is abandoned. It is for show. The faux humble person finds it gauche to put himself forward, but believes he deserves to be at the head of the line. He waits impatiently to be honored, full of fear that his sham reticence will be mistaken for indifference to the award. He considers himself entitled by merit to privileges and status, even if he adopts a pretense of downplaying them. The success of others is an existential threat. It's a mark of how shallow our sense of virtue is that we consider domesticated humility to be praiseworthy. The very best we can imagine for ourselves, our children, our leaders, and our heroes is that they pretend not to seek personal glory. Radical humility is so rare that it seems to us almost sociopathic. We're disturbed by it. We seek ways to reassure ourselves that deep down the radically humble person is just like us. My students this semester are reading John Dominic Crossan's book, How to Read the Bible and Still Be a Christian. I take these notions of the radical message of God and the domesticated message of Christianity from him. To Crossan, there's a dynamic in the Bible that is played out over and over again in Christian history. Here's how it goes. A prophet proclaims the radical vision of God's kingdom. Christ embodies the radical vision of God's kingdom. Then people who aren't excited about radical change, like us, get a hold of it and water it down. True humility, the kind Jesus preaches, is for the occasional saint. The best we expect for ourselves is a polite show of holding back before we grasp at privilege. And now, maybe not even that. I think that what disturbs many of us about this election season is that even the pretense is gone. That even the veneer of humility is now sneered at as weak or shackled by political correctness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I memorized that as a child. Matthew 5, 5. Part of the Beatitudes. I memorized it in the King James Version, but a more modern translation might explain, Happy are those who are humble. The whole earth is their inheritance. What kind of humility do we think Jesus is talking about? Radical or domesticated? True and sincere or feigned and polite? The radical vision of God is one where the sham of virtue is consumed with a raging fire. The radical vision of God is one where those whose lives we didn't think mattered reign over God's transformed kingdom. That's the message of the gospel. 
Is that good news to us? Or do we pray for the arrival of the kingdom somewhere down the road after we have enjoyed our privileges and our power and our status enough? Amen.